That's what happened to... You talking about me? <laughs> That's what happened to me, too. <clears throat> you talking about my brother? My brother got married this week. Chad was there. He was that guy. All right, welcome to Attica Shrug, the podcast about Southern culture and politics uh, this week. With me, as usual, are David Dykes. Hello. And Chad Watson. Howdy. And I'm uh, Wes Cheek. I'm here. Uh, I now have an office mate, but my office mate has not showed up yet, so I'm hoping he doesn't walk into the middle of this, um, because that would be a little odd. Although my office mate did this week insist that I speak English to him to help his English, and I thought he was joking, so I kept speaking Japanese to him. And then the next day he corrected me and said, remember, we speak English to help my English. <laughs> well, that's good. So I'm charging him $20 an hour. He <laughs> thinks, like, hello, where is the nearest Burger King? <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. That's what I say. Yeah, I say, um... So when is Pearl is Harbor red. Day? Uh, this is a pen. I am reaching for no, my you... driver's license. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, sorry for we couldn't record last week. I had there's I had this the most horrible cold in the world, and then it went through my family kind of in order. So like each day, one of us would be like, "I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about," and the next day we would not be able to get out of bed. Um, and it also involved a lot of puking out of the children, so that was fun. Uh, so I apologize for that. So how was Thanksgiving with my family, Chad? It was very nice. We went to, um, oh, the, uh, oh, no. Tijuana Flats? Yeah. Tijuana Flats? Yeah, we went to Tijuana Flats. It was very nice. Yeah, yeah I like Tijuana Flats. You can eat uh, lots of food, you can drink beer, and have lots of hot sauce. Yeah. We had many hot sauces, uh, guacamole dip, um, your mom was you, you can also see lots of, uh, your mom was very excited to see me and Becky she was also going to going to a uh, pre-wedding party to possibly get a, a signature from a future uh, a baseball autograph, baseball yeah. autograph yeah a future baseball autograph yeah uh, yeah I was gonna say about Tijuana Flats it's also the place to go if you want to look at um, autograph photos of Florida level celebrities I did. I didn't recognize anybody. Yeah, it's a lot of professional wrestlers. <laughs> Former. <laughs> a lot of like people who fly. <laughs> a lot of people who fly like stunt airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people who committed war crimes and later been pardoned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There's a war crime right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> war crime of Our Lady Guadalupe. <laughs> it's a special holiday in Mexico. Yeah, if um, if um, a racket starts spilling in from this end, it's uh, this last, I guess it was Wednesday or Thursday, was Our Lady of Guadalupe, the 12th, mm-hmm. and um, they're just now getting around to celebrating in my neighborhood. Actually, they celebrated on the day, and then they're celebrating more now, so there's lots of fireworks and lots of cumbia music. And a lot of stuff that uh, I, I think this might be the third time that we've recorded with this going on in the background. <laughs> it is. 
But, I mean, there's always something. It, but the festival drowns out the stray dogs. <laughs> I don't know if they're stray or not. I, mean, I was watching them dance out there earlier, and it's insane because all the, the guys in my neighborhood are either <laughs> unemployed or they're bricklayers. Yeah. And the bricklayers have this incredible stamina, and they just dance incredibly hard between drinks and just go and go and go and go to the most up-tempo music you can imagine. Uh-huh. It's pretty spectacular athletic feat. So you're having a little... And then they're dressed like... They're also wearing heavy costumes while they're doing it. Mostly today they were dressed like clowns. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Are, are the dogs there mostly stray or do they mostly kind of belong to the neighborhood? Or who, who are the dogs? That we hear oh they all belong to people now like back 30 years ago in san miguel there were a lot of stray dogs but we have a really effective spca now and a spay neuter program and uh, i guess there's occasionally an actual stray but i think they don't last on the street very long before being picked up by the um, uh, spca so um, they yeah, there's a like, a, but there's a lot of dogs around. Uh, but they mostly have collars, and you can tell they're eating well. They're pretty well treated. Though I was astonished when I was in Havana. Like, there's just packs of, I guess, stray dogs, and they decided to follow my friend Ryan around. So everywhere we went in Havana, he was just followed by this pack of stray dogs. It's a little intimidating. They seem to know you. Well, out on the edge of town, there's some of those, and I don't know. There was. I mean, I don't know how far down this road I want to go, but uh, there was a story that an old guy, um, an Eastern European guy who uh, wandered off. He was uh, a professor who had, um, uh, I guess he had some sort of dementia, maybe Alzheimer's, and he wandered off and he was found partially eaten. yeah. Like uh, Mary, uh, but Mary Provost? The idea is that he probably died and then the dogs found him rather than actually being attacked by the pack of dogs. Do you know that uh, is it Nick Cave song, Mary Provost? About the, the I don't, old Hollywood actress who apparently she was a very glamorous silent film star who died at her home and no one found her and her little dachshunds kind of went to town. Yeah, oh. It's a good song, though. Uh, anyway, on that, I've been rewatching X Files, and there's a uh, a short arc in season two, I think, mm-hmm. uh, with the the starting with the one with Peter Boyle in it, where oh, you can yeah, tell the so future. Good. That's so good. Uh, with the little carnivorous dog. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. That episode is really good. Yeah. Back when they were really hitting those like strange notes uh, across different episodes, where there'd be a different, completely different atmosphere for each episode, which is what was really good about those early seasons. Yep. Uh, I remember when, it, when I was an exchange student in Osaka, uh, X-Files was really popular. And you can tell when it came came on, because if your windows were open, you could hear all the TVs in the neighborhood start playing the X-Files theme song. <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. um, so, so there's tons of news this week. I had been kind of trying to follow the impeachment hearings, but I, I have to stay up pretty late here to do that. Have you guys been watching them at all? Uh, no, I just get the digest. Yeah. At the end of the day, I uh, tune in NPR and a couple other news sources and uh, um, 
and see, you know, it's like, it's pretty much like nothing is a big surprise. Right. Yeah, it's been all pretty well scripted out, right? We know that no Republican is going to budge on anything, right? So uh, we know that Democrats are want it to happen. I mean, the the thing for us, or for me anyway, this particular is uh, my my friend, good friend, and your good friend, uh, uh, little Matt Gates, baby friend, Gates, friend of the show, friend of the show, <laughs> Matt Gates, <laughs> is uh, you know really hitting his stride here on this and getting kind of the natural national attention that he's always always wanted as i keep saying we need to do a special show on him sometime uh and i guess we'll get around to it but he's a special kind of guy but you know the coverage he's been getting is interesting because it seems like most people really have the wrong read on kind of who he is and and where he comes from i think uh jacob bacharach who i like a lot had a piece what publication was it in this week about him where he gets kind of labeled as like a the classic frat guy um kind of stereotype and and the thing to get about matt is that he's like not and i was trying to think about what what that difference is on the way over and it seems like frat guys for as horrible as they are um at least have at least southern frat guys who are the kind that i know have kind of some kind of joie de vivre about them or in some way seem to enjoy um enjoy living in people (laughs) i mean (laughs) to whatever extent that is a little bit and matt gates is like not that he's just um a spoiled rich kid who's also a debate team dork, right? And so he's just like the worst of the worst of everything. Just everything he does is a complete dramatic performance. Um, and it's a dramatic performance like based in nothing because his dad is one of the richest guys in, in Okaloosa County who's got all of his money from his firm ripping off um, Medicare. Uh, and not just ripping it off, ripping off um, palliative care, ripping off hospice care, right? Is <laughs> where their money comes from. And then Matt has just never had a job, never worked for anything, been kind of set up into that position. So he's not like, he's not even like the freewheeling, dumbass frat guy. He's not that. He's just uh, just a really, really rich kid who in- enjoyed the debate team. So that's Matt. But he anyway. is the star. I have heard a lot. He he does. I haven't I haven't got to watch um, much because I'm at I'm at yeah I have a job which I have to be at at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, but his name always comes up on the uh, he gets quoted in the uh, in the highlights or lowlights that I listen to. And actually, I have a couple of students that always that want to tell me about uh, they're listening to the impeachment and um, they want oh, to really? tell in class in class. Yeah, they want to <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> They bring in their little FM transistor radios with like the <laughs> the cord up their uh, their jacket sleeves mm-hmm. and hold up there. So they can hear about. How do it. they follow? I wonder how do they follow it. Uh, they watch. They watch like, I think they watch. They watch it online. I think they watch like they watch it online in class when they're not supposed to and. I mean, I have, these are kids that I have, like, early in the morning, so, like, from, like, I have these kids from, like, 7 to 8 in the morning, so they haven't, I don't guess the the impeachment starts until, like, 8 or 9 o'clock, and I know a lot of them have, like, government, they're mostly seniors, and they have government class, and I know they listen to it a little bit in government, um, oh, yeah. and then they are interested, and they kind of catch up on, they watch, like, the videos that are on YouTube, and other places afterwards and do they say that that matt gates guy really seems to have it together no he's the star 
they say. Well, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. If you watch it, and if you've watched like Republican politics for the last, you know, twenty or thirty years, you can kind of understand what's going on, right? Like nothing the Republicans are doing has anything to do with like the actual like watching it throughout the day. They're they're like kind of cutting clips for like Fox News and for their own yeah. websites, right? So like Matt will pick a time to to start yelling. And he'll start yelling a whole lot, and then he'll uh, kind of stop. And apparently, he leaves the room. I keep hearing he's like left. And then you like look on Twitter, and it's him and like the Gateway pundit Jim Hoff, like <laughs> retweeting each other about how cool it was that he just yelled, right? And, and that's essentially like all the Republicans are doing. Like, because people keep asking, like, if you kind of follow on Twitter, people are like, "Oh, why do they sound so angry right now?" Well, it's because they're not. It's not about anything happening in that room. They have to sound angry for the clips, and that's, I think, for their audience, all their audience is watching. So. Yeah. You know, and it's true, I mean, a lot of kind of impassioned Democratic speeches are the same same thing, right? I think there's a lot more substance to them, and, like, the president is actually a criminal. But, like, the Democratic speeches, you know, they know their audience, too. Anyway, that's the impeachment hearings. No, I mean, like I said, I... You know, when he was elected, everyone said, give him a chance. And I said, okay, I'll give him five years, and then we'll we'll see. So I'm still I'm sticking to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the appropriate amount of time. Right into the middle of his second of four terms. <laughs> so five yeah. terms, however. I mean, you can live forever on cheese. I mean, there was, man, his... Japanese TV. Oh, sorry. Jap- <laughs> no, go ahead. Japanese TV is so horrible, there was... Uh, I was hanging up laundry the other night, and I heard on the TV, like, the Japanese TV station was running a clip about how good-looking Baron Trump is, just like his dad, <laughs> and so how all the American girls must be uh, must be excited about him. Um, as someone pointed out to me, he's 13 years old. Like, <laughs> like that's yeah. so strange. Anyway. Uh, uh, well, we live in hell world. All right, so we had a bunch of stories to run through uh, for news stuff. So the first one that we're looking at is about this Tennessee lawmaker who's called for the removal of higher education. David, do you want to tell us about this one? Oh, it's a, it's a very short story. I got it from the AP, and um, it's about uh, Carrie Roberts, uh, who comes out of Springfield, Where's who that? says that he supports getting rid of higher education because he argues that it would cut off a, the, liber, the liberal breeding ground that is college. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he said that uh, it, was, it was basically about some abortion protesters who he said were a product of higher education and um, that getting rid of higher education would save America. So it would be and better. It just if... seemed like a kind of funny story to me, I guess. I don't know how funny it is. I mean, um, I assume he probably went to college at some point. I didn't really do a lot of background checking on him to see what his educational level was or where he went to school because um, I guess it doesn't make too much difference. I, it's pretty clear he means higher education for other people. Yeah. And I think about my experience at UT, you know, in higher education, not as a student so much, but as a teacher and uh, all the liberalism, all those kids were learning. I was teaching mostly business majors, pure um, Keynesianism and Marxism in the business school. Right. It's called the Haslam Business School. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I also wonder is his idea that people will not go to college, so they'll go from high school straight to like a job on the factory shop floor and then unionize, which will turn them towards conservatism. Yeah. <laughs> or like go work in the in the fields with uh, migrant laborers. <laughs> unregistered, undocumented migrant laborers who will, that, that will turn them conservative? I mean, what is the alternate? The well, the Tennessee legislature is doing everything it can to get rid of unions, too. If you look at the VW um, auto workers uh, votes that keep happening in Chattanooga, yeah, uh, there's a VW company there. And the way that Germany is set up, you need a union, really, uh, to, to be, be the part of management, and uh, the uh, state legislature does everything it can to tilt the scale every time there's a vote. Right. Of course. I mean, yeah, that's what they do. I mean, that's kind of why they're there, right? That's what they're in place for. Hmm. I mean, that's what that's what that type of government stands in for, right? To be that kind of uh, mitigate between those kind of demands i was gonna say radical demands but not even radical demands completely normal demands and uh what capital wants right where's springfield tennessee i'm not sure where it is i assume it's out west somewhere no it's actually Uh, not too far west it's north it's north of nashville it's about an hour maybe like 30 minutes to it looks like about an hour north of nashville yeah that's like that weird part of tennessee where it's almost like missouri right Like up towards uh, Clarksville, up that way? Yeah, kind of up that way, yeah. Yeah, north of that way. Yeah, I I think it looks like... The only time I I went to... been to Clarksville, I went to a movie at the movie theater there, and Clarksville had been hit by a tornado like the year before, and it hit the movie theater, but they didn't repair the movie theater. (laughs) (laughs) I went to a movie in it. So it was like a drive-in movie theater? It was like it was like a sit-in. <laughs> it was a sit-in movie theater. Yeah, Clarksville's an interesting place. <clears throat> but yeah, these are funny for me too because, like, you know, both sides of a teacher. I went to Alabama as an undergraduate, and do you think that University of Alabama like radicalizes people into a liberal breeding ground? I mean, yeah, it wasn't wasn't my experience there. Uh, we used to do. You remember like the bike ride, critical mass? You remember critical mass yeah. bike rides? everyone would write yeah. about yeah like we would do critical mass and people would yell at us um i like oil that was there uh, <laughs> and then you know being at tulane and teaching at tulane i remember i was sitting in the gis lab one day and there was like a divest divest from you know uh fossil fuel stocks like small march that went through campus and these two guys uh, actual frat guys who were um watching it go past like were actually perplexed they were like uh well, where do these people think they'll work if we divest from fossil fuels? Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of clear where their future was going, you know. Yeah, I've had, yeah, I taught a lot of business school people too. And that's not, there. there's very little, very, very little uh, liberal or radical or leftist in any way teaching going on on the, our campuses. And even beyond that, as I've said a million times, if you think that universities are liberal, just look at the way they're set up. They're like, you know, they're businesses. They're they're extremely highly capitalist businesses, right? Well, if you look at the University of Tennessee, I mean, I think now it's the Haslam School of Everything. I think everything is the Haslam School of Everything um, or like the Pilot Oil Corporation School of Everything. 
It says yeah, here and, uh, that this guy was the rob the guy who approved who wants to eliminate higher education. He was a 1983 graduate of Lipscomb University, according to his Senate profile, which I think is a na- it's like a private university in Nashville. But. Mm. A non-radicalizing, non-radicalized. Well, I mean, the Koch brothers bought the Florida State <clears throat> Economics Department, right? Um, and you know, I've said this a few times, but I was <clears throat> I was working. I think I can say this. I was working for a major Northeastern university, an Ivy League school, conducting a study in Louisiana. And because we were using funds from the the BP oil spill, we were not allowed to call it the BP oil spill, right? Like we had to call other stuff. So that's how radicalizing it is to be in a university campus. Um, speaking of university campuses, there's this, uh, I didn't realize there's a magazine called Contingent Magazine, which is about, <laughs> I know, other titles kind of depressing itself, but about contingent employees at universities, which I'm sure is my destiny. Uh, or if you're not, not familiar with the university system, the way it used to work is that you worked hard and got a PhD and you went in and you became like tenure track and worked your way up and you would become a tenure professor. Now what they do is they supply more and more, like ad- <clears throat> most of the teaching done at universities is through like adjuncts and contingent people who aren't tenure track, right, who are easily expendable. But this is really nice for the end of the year. They have their contingent book list um, for people who are contingent employees but put out books this year. So that's how crazy the system is. You could be working hard, teaching like four classes at like different universities, four or five classes, putting out books, right, and not have a tenure track deal. But there's some really interesting stuff, I think, applicable for us. So if you want to check it out, if you're doing some late Christmas shopping, Contingent Magazine's 2019 book list, there's uh, Christopher Boughton's Setting Slavery's Limits, Physical Confrontations in Antebellum, Virginia. looks super interesting. There's a book called Regenerating Dixie by Casey Carter about electric energy in the modern South, which looks super interesting. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff if you're interested in, in the things that we talk about that are, that are out there on this i want to mention something that a friend of mine put up on social media i think it might have just been today um alejandra my friend who is um just started a new tenure track job i think it's tenure track oh, wow. but uh Definitely. she put up a call that somebody had put out that said if you're a teacher and you're using materials from um especially women of color, but mm-hmm. anybody who doesn't have tenure and is working at universities, if mm-hmm. you will email them and let them know uh, what course you're using it for, that oh, that yeah, can be really sure. useful information in their tenure folder. Absolutely. Please follow that advice if you're an academic. Yeah, sure, it can be. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are contingent employees who have a pretty broad reach scholarship wise you know um and and don't i do you see um uh my my internet friend uh ed bermilla of uh jen and tacos um blog fame uh he was saying this week that uh he's he's been driving an uber and so someone got in his uber and said um yeah i'm thinking about getting a phd in political science and he said uh, oh i got one of those (laughs) yeah it's weird man it's crazy and like it's one of those things we talk talk about a lot all the time but it's not that um some people try to say oh well you know people the phd's got overvalued too many people got them 
and it's no, the ratio has been consistent, right? It's just that the way it, universities work has been reorganized, that uh, they try to run as much of it on contingent employment as possible because you don't, they don't have to give you benefits, they don't have to give you any rights, really, right? They don't have to provide office space for you, none of these things, right? They can, you're exploitable labor. But yet the demands on you are still the same to, to publish, right? So it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely insane. Um, but I shouldn't think about it anymore because I'm going to start crying on the air. It's going to be all right. Uh, we'll see. My, well, the next two years is fine. I sit in my office. It's great. Uh, okay, so the other thing we're looking at is around Thanksgiving, Houston had all these petrochemical petrochemical fires, the unhappy Thanksgiving. So yeah. what was happening in Houston with this stuff? So in Houston, uh, there was another import. I mean, it wasn't necessarily in Houston because none of the oil refineries are actually in Houston. But right, right. It was about 80 miles east of Houston in Port Natchez, and an mm-hmm. oil refinery exploded, and, um, you know, basically, like, people came home, you know, like, the day before Thanksgiving, and were told, well, you can't go to your house because it's, you know, the, um, you know, it's dangerous to breathe the air around your house. Or if they were stuck in their house, they were told they can't go home. Uh, I mean, they can't leave their house. And <laughs> Nice. Yeah, so it was... Too, uh, too dangerous to be there, but you can't leave. Too dangerous to be there. And then there was, like, a second explosion, I think, like, maybe, like, Thursday, maybe Thursday morning, like, Thanksgiving morning. Um, you know, and then there was a lot of confusion, like, it's okay to come home, it's not okay to come home, uh, you know, it's not okay to leave your house, it's okay to... And which was, like, a lot of... I mean, it was, like, Thanksgiving, so... A lot of people either had plans that they needed to pack up and leave their house or they were having family over um, and there was a lot of confusion about the say about you know like what like how actually safe what was it safe or was it not safe um, and this is it maybe it's not even like really like a big story because it seems like now like every at least once or twice a month there's been like a oil refinery explosion to where like oh like a local neighborhood had to be evacuated because there's an oil refinery explosion and you know you may and like there may be carcinogens in the air and you may 10 or 15 years from now you may get you know cancer um but we don't know like we don't know because we haven't there's like no defense like we haven't done any long-term research on the effects of these chemicals on people um and it seems like that's happening and it's happening like these oil refineries are all over the place and they're pretty they're close enough to where like you know like there's a neighborhood like always pretty close by that uh, has to be evacuated um or yeah um so that's our unhappy thanksgiving and and also it's always like very questionable about the the um this what like the one that happened over thanksgiving i haven't heard that they cut any corners, but most of them, there's always like, oh, well, there was like possibly some corners cut or there was some sort of like regulation that was lifted that maybe shouldn't have been lifted. And yeah, yeah. that was the, it's the uh, efficiencies of capitalism, right? Yeah. That's it's the efficiency of capitalism that, yeah. yeah. Those efficiencies express themselves in an interesting way. Yeah. I see here that the TPC group, which runs it was fined $214,000 uh, last year so i'm sure that'll teach them because right yeah it's about yeah it's always there's always oh yeah well last year the company was fined something for violating some safety regulation that was very similar to the thing that caused the explosion 
Yeah. And it's always some ridiculous, you know, it's a multi-million dollar company that was like fined like $100,000 for something. Right, right. But remember, government, governor... Well, I think we could probably fix that problem if we would just refuse to buy any chemicals or petroleum yep. that came from those sources. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we should probably be able to figure out by looking at the labels, right? Yeah. Right, sure. You can you can look at them, figure that out, sort it out, uh, plan your shopping around that. But as you know, Governor Abbott says you can... Texas is really friendly, so if you drive up to the gate and ask the security guard what's in the what's in those tanks, they'll probably tell you. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to worry about getting sick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Texas what, yeah. is friendly. It'll work out. It'll all work out. Yeah. Just let them know. Call that. Call that company and let them know like what kind <laughs> of what carcinogens you got. Like. Today. Hey, this is Jimmy. I live down the street. What y'all got in there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nitrogen. Yeah. Nit- all right. <laughs> nitrogen. Lithium. Lithium carbide. <laughs> Um, I didn't take enough chemistry to make a funny joke about what's in the tanks. Yeah, I don't know. I just know with the H two O H two O three. Yeah, I mean, if you just Google Texas oil refinery explosion, I mean, it's like <laughs> you, you can't, can't figure out which one. You it can't is. even figure out which one it is. I mean, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's the phrase, it's marketplace of ideas. I mean, it's... Right, right. I know I keep giving the same answer to everything, but that's like one of the things with even thinking about things uh, through a dialectical lens, right? It's like, oh, yes, at the at the end, the end of these products do give us wonderful things, right? Like, I like driving across the country. Mm-hmm. I like having plastic stuff, right? But part of this process are things unexpectedly exploding and dispensing possibly toxic chemicals. Yeah, where people can't even go home for Thanksgiving, or possibly do go home for Thanksgiving and get cancer. Yeah, like every every couple of months, some poor guy, you know, like trying to put food on his table gets blown, like it's blown into the sky, you know, and then like a uh, some poor neighborhood gets, you know, they're all going to get like uh, hair cancer, like <laughs> yeah, right. ten years from now. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and there's no real way to disentangle it as a as a singular human being, which is frustrating. Uh-huh. Well, on this similar note, uh, I don't know. I've been keep telling people about this, and I don't know if it's just a really specific personal complaint, but I think it should scare everyone. Is that we've lost like almost the entire oyster crop for the Gulf um, this year for a lot of reasons. It's always hard to give like a single cause for these things, but uh, mainly what happened was there was a lot of heavy rains in the Midwest this year, and so the Bonnie Carey Spillway had to be open for an extended period of time, which put tons and tons of fresh water going out into the Gulf more than usual. And when the mixture gets wrong of salt water to fresh water, it kills a lot of oysters, right? Um, so that's really bad news. There's some slight good news this last week in that um, there's been a few really large grants to to restock oyster populations in Fort Walton or in uh, – Choctahatchee Bay in Fort Walton in, and in Apalachicola Bay. Uh, so Apalachicola Bay is down a little further east in Fort Walton. It's a really lovely area. It's my favorite oysters in the world. Uh, but they used to pre- they used to produce 90% of Florida's oyster population, which is 10% for the entire nation, or the product for the entire nation. But it just dropped off. It just kind of ended. And part of that was having to do with hurricane damage, a large part of it. 
uh, really wrecked a lot of their oyster beds. But also, one thing that destroys oyster beds is the runoff from golf courses, like fertilizing, fertilizing mm-hmm. grass. Uh, so, and then a lot of development, you know, creates runoff. So, you know, I keep, I keep making, saying like all of this stuff, and this includes climate change too, right? Climate change is part of the larger structure over all of this is that not only is like a food like oysters, which, you know, if oysters didn't exist anymore, I'd be kind of sad, but it'd be like, you know, not the hugest deal, but the whole entire culture and jobs and economy and everything else that goes along with that is getting wiped out. So um, it's, it's good to see there's been, yeah, this $20 million uh, grant the, from the Gulf Environmental Benefit Fund um, to the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Committee to help with Apalachicola Bay. And I also know there's been $8 million, which is by, again, our friends at Triumph Gulf Coast, which is the BP oil settlement. Right, which has tried to get oyster beds growing again. Controlled by Matt Gates' dad, Don Gates, by the way, um, into growing new oyster beds in Apalachicola and Choctahatchee Bay. So this should be, uh, it's, it's a small, small good thing that might be happening. Yeah, I'm curious about, uh, you mentioned all of uh, oyster culture, oyster employment, everything else, but um, also they function as filters. And I'm sure that if the yeah. oysters are dying, that probably mussels are dying and clams oh, sure. are dying and other filter feeders. Oh, and, and the water so quality, do you have any right? idea what kind of effect that's having on the, um, on the Gulf? I don't know overall, like scientifically. I know there's lots of problems and lots of concerns, though, because they also filter water, right? And so the water isn't clean, and we're having problems because it doesn't get super cold in the winter anymore, That and it stays pretty hot through the summer. You're getting a lot of weird bacteria in the water. So you've had people die this year from uh, flesh-eating bacteria that they've gotten just really randomly they haven't been submerged in water they've been like fishing or like pulling up crab nets or something and splash some water in a cut or something like that uh you know and have died from flesh eating bacteria so it's the whole system is getting really messed up there was a a lot of dolphins died off this year because of the um the salinity mix was off and it's one of these complex systems that we don't know right when you pull out like one block what collapses right uh but we're really at the the far edges of where you can not have a, a collapse of the entire system, I think, which is well, scary. I did see, I did hear an article, like when you sent this article, I there was an article on NPR about mussels, about freshwater mussels mm-hmm. like dying out and about basically uh, efforts to kind of reinvigorate, like to, to help, like to help the freshwater mussels uh, out. And then talking to that yeah. back- no, I just remember like when I was an undergraduate at Alabama, <clears throat> so this would be the late 90s, that long ago, <clears throat> we were talking about, you know, climate change even then. We we're talking about climate change. And one of the examples given were these, uh, I think it's crabs in the Chesapeake Bay who lay their eggs when the water reaches a specific temperature, right? And there's also these vast migration of birds that happens at the same time, and the birds stop in the Chesapeake Bay, eat the eggs, and then continue flying on. And that, you know, these things aren't, 
I don't say not related to each other. They're driven by the, the migration and the egg laying are driven by different factors, but they're related, right? And so if you pull out one leg of this, it starts to fall apart. And what happens as the temperature of Chesapeake Bay rises, the eggs start hatching at a different time. And so yeah. the the birds show up when there aren't eggs and the birds start starving. And then you have too many eggs in Chesapeake Bay too. And so all these systems are so complex. They're not something that is just easily solvable. Even if we were to work on solving climate change in general, we don't know what happens when this stuff starts collapsing. Yeah. Which is scary. And then there's even a a follow, like a story that happened like Travis and Austin like a couple of summers ago, like talking about the water in Lake Travis was getting too hot and they were having all this bacteria and it was getting to the point where you could like dogs would go swim and they'd like, Oh, like we're going to Lake Travis having a good time. And our dog, people's dogs were going swimming in Lake Travis and then they would come out and just have like toxic, you know, they would be infected with some horrible bacteria and just like fall over dead. And like people were told to not let their, and, there is like they're still trying to figure out like what happened and like they think it might have something to do with you know the the filter the filters out there the natural uh, filters yeah. yeah i mean it's all you know you can't really and once it starts to collapse it's really hard to roll back so there that's depressing all right so maybe we'll move over that speaking of depressing um what was this thing about the fbi arrest in houston of the drug raid Oh, so picture it. Picture it. Houston, January 2019. There was a big like shootout at a big drug house in in uh, Houston, and it was and a couple of police got shot, and the drug dealers got shot, and it was supposed to supposedly a black tar heroin uh, dealer uh, dealership. Like it was a licensed dealership, um, like a car dealer. No, but it was like they were. Um, and so it was like, oh, like these heroic cops, they had the shootout with the drug house and a couple, I, I think it was one or two cops died. Uh, maybe some people were injured. Uh, everybody, all the drug dealers died. Um, so then it later turned out that the warrant on the house was like faked by the police officer and he was part of this totally like sort of... It's like, I don't know if, yeah, corrupt, maybe, like, corrupt slash inept, like, narcotic, like, undercover narcotics division. Wait, was Detective Russ Cole involved in <laughs> Yeah, Russ Cole. Shirts? Yeah, it was Russ Cole. Um, Side the warrant. There's a strange signature on the warrant from yeah. Louisiana. Yeah, it was, uh, and there was a, there was a, a drug dealer that had gone missing, um, uh, but supposedly it was like the the narcotics division. They had not done anything in the neighborhood, like, and they had been operating in the neighborhood for years. And it was a low income uh, area with lots of drug deals, and um, they had only made like small, like they had only made like they had only arrested people for like buying like a gram of whatever. Um, no big arrests. And so there was kind of a lot of pressure on them. And so they, this guy just, oh, like, yeah, I found this, there's this house that's, you know, selling a lot of uh, black tar heroin. And they showed up at the house and these people were like, what, like, why are you at our house? Like, why are you barging into our house? And so the pull. So the police, it was like one of those no-knock raids, and and of course they killed the dog. I see. Yeah, they killed, they killed the dog. The dog. Yeah, and I think that was it. Like this... they were, of course, yeah, like what the hell? You killed our dog, and so the shootout, like 
I'm not even sure they were sure. I mean, I think the people were selling, like, there was, like, marijuana found and some other, but it was not, and like, the, the dog. Yeah, and the dog. Um, but it was not the big, it was made out, like, for a couple months, it was like, oh, this heroic, like, narcot. you know, here we are, the, uh, you know, Houston PD is, you know, out doing their job, but then it turned out they were not doing their job, and... Yeah, and there have been there's been a big FBI investigation. A couple of, like the warrant, uh, the uh, warrant to raid the house was like based on false information. Um, multiple people have been implicated in the multiple officers. A couple have been arrested by the FBI, and and um, yeah. So that's that's what police police love killing a dog. There's just no yeah. <laughs> especially like the special tactical squads. They just yeah. <laughs> I it's wonder like if this, there's like a, a target target cutout somewhere. It's just a dog where they all go to like, the range and just shoot at the dog. Like checklist. Like we can't really get this raid yeah. started until like a dog right. dies. Is this a Goins? Um, is Goins one of the cops? I think. Goins, yeah, and I keep reading it as Groins because his name is Gerald Goins, and I can only <laughs> see that as one word. This is Groins. Yeah. Well, I was I'm looking and seeing that when it first broke, that they started reviewing 1,400 cases. Yeah, um, uh, that's pretty pretty astounding. I wonder how many people walked because of that. My guess would be few. Few, yeah, but it's okay because there's no innocent people in jail. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. like the story, too, because the pictures of everybody involved in the story, it's one of those weird, this is also kind of a cop <laughs> thing, I think, where they're all, like, around my age, but look like they're 85. <laughs> yeah. Like, I figure out, like, what happened to them. I mean, that's... <laughs> I don't know if it's something about being in with the, the tactical dog dog assassination squad <laughs> yeah. that does this to you. I mean, when you learn about tactical dog assassinations, you know, you're breathing in those all those uh, byproducts of the oil refinery fires. I mean, it happened. <laughs> that's probably it. That's probably it. They're probably yeah. traumatized by the oil refinery fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The dog just keeps barking. The dog just keeps barking. Oh, shut up. Shut up, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's, that's our, that's our uh, Houston PD. Um, but there's a, there's another, but there is, there is the, the happy story also about yeah. Houston PD. Oh, oh my no. God! They're here. The dogs. Oh, oh no! They just, the I don't dog. even have a dog, and they shot it. They bought me a dog, and they shot the dog. <laughs> How many episodes do we have with gunfire in the background? It's kind of astounding. Um, that wasn't guns. I so. know. I know. I know. Oh, you shouldn't. Yeah, I was woken that. up by guns a couple of nights ago. I there were four <laughs> shots that uh, I know. I'm pretty good at telling the difference between gunfire and. Uh, fireworks now and definitely woken up by gunfire uh three nights ago so everyone in new orleans has become pretty good at the gunfire versus fireworks uh dynamic right and uh i will say that gunfire sounds a lot more like a big stack of wood falling down to me than it sounds like fireworks does that make sense hmm. like a load of lumber falling down sounds more like gunfire than fireworks fireworks sound like fireworks no, does any of this yeah. Well, one thing here, most of the fireworks are way up in the sky, right. and so they don't have that echoey, like, narrow street sound, right. and they don't crack like a... Uh, oh, but yeah, the that's, fireworks that's here, a lot of them are made specifically just to make a lot of noise and wake people up. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's even like there's been a discussion uh, in New Orleans recently about like kind of the, the racial dynamic of saying I can't tell if those are fireworks or gunshots, right? Which is a pretty complicated <laughs> thing. Or I'm just going to pretend those are fireworks. I think that was it. I'm just going to pretend those were fireworks. Yeah. Have fun. Uh, so so what's up with the Houston police chief? So I think it was maybe last Saturday or maybe a couple of Saturdays ago. There was a police officer who had um he responded to a domestic uh it was a domestic disturbance and he was shot by by a a husband by a boyfriend or a husband uh shot and killed and he had been he was a repeat offender he would he had been um had multiple domestic disturbances and the police chief said that like the police chief came out and said that this would not have happened if it hadn't been for like Ted Cruz and um John Cornyn our two senators uh being uh-huh. in bed with like the NRA and not and making it that it should be illegal for someone with the best domestic um with a domestic viol- a domestic abuse bible violation should not have be able to have a gun and it was because yeah. the NRA was, you know, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz were in bed with the NRA, and the NRA did not care about people, basically. Um, yeah, I think that's inarguable. Uh, yeah, I saw um, there. I believe it's Germany. I was looking at different countries and the way they do, like how you can still get a gun legally. And I think Germany interviews like the last two of your. I can't remember the terminology. Maybe it was intimate partner or like you know cohabitation. Or but it interviews people you've been romantically involved with to see like, do you think this person is stable enough to to have a firearm? Yeah. I think that I think that's a, a good start. Yeah, and there is like. There is like a like John Cornyn came back and said, well, technically it is illegal, like in Texas, but the way that it's kind of where the way that the 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 law is worded, it's like, well, like maybe it it doesn't real. I mean, you can still you can have a domestic abuse violation and still buy a gun, like the way right. And it's as someone pointed out correctly, also even with the German system, that would mean that forty percent of law enforcement wouldn't be able to own a gun. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. There would have been no shootout in January if. Right, right, right. Detective Ruskell <laughs> has firearms taken away. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, how much more is there to? I mean, this stuff we we talked about it a lot, right? And it's it used to be. It's really interesting because it used to be that law enforcement generally, police chiefs generally, were on the side of gun control, right? Because they were right. the ones who were having to deal with well-armed criminals. But kind of political transition over the last decade or so has meant there's a lot of people who've run for sheriff are gotten into the higher echelons of being uh, police chiefs who are just part of the reactionary conservative movement. And gun culture has kind of embedded itself in the reactionary conservative movement. And so they there's sheriffs across America now who are saying they wouldn't even enforce gun control standards if they were that was the law. Yeah. There you go. But, I mean, it's, it's good that at least there's somebody having it. Uh, Houston seems to be a really weird amalgamation of politics right now, as I'm sure you know. It's a weird, it's a weird place right now, yeah. Because <laughs> you have uh, Dan Crenshaw running around the outskirts. We got Dan Crenshaw running around, kind of running into things. Has a hard time seeing it. Into... <laughs> oh. oh, never mind. Allegedly. Um, alleg- allegedly. 
So we had a big blow up in in Northwest Florida this week where uh, local tourist, um, all around moron Mike Huckabee, uh, has been arguing with a local lawyer over Twitter and has now decided to to sue him. The lawyer is Daniel Olfelder, who I don't know. I th- feel like I'm friends of friends with him because it's not that big of a place, but I don't know him personally. But this is all, and we'll have to do a longer dive into this. This is all of this bigger case about customary use of beaches in Florida. And this involves a lot of people a lot of Florida politics people. Um, so Mike Huckabee's at the center of it. Matt Gates was part of it when he was still in the Florida um, Senate. Uh, Rick Scott, former governor, now Sen- Senator, uh, largest fraud case of all time. Rick Scott was involved in this. And it had to do with a law in Florida that, uh, there's a lot to go into with it. They had to do with customary use of beaches. And what customary use is, beaches are, under Florida law, public property. Anyone can use them. Anyone can walk up and down them. Uh, people who've moved down to Florida, like Mike Huckabee, who owns a $7 million vacation home in Blue Water or Blue Mountain Beach, uh, successfully got this law made that said, no, actually the beach is, your, is their private property because they bought land there. And the beach goes all the way down to the waterline, and so they can kick people off their beach, right? This is very controversial, of course, because the beach has traditionally been where anyone can go and use it. Um, so Daniel Olfelder is part of, he's counsel for Florida Beaches for All, which is a citizens group that's fighting in court to save customary use. Uh, and so he had kind of been picking, he's been picking it at Huckabee on Twitter and Mike Huckabee, who's completely rational, sane, smart person, um, decided to sue him over this. So Olfelder has gone from having 422 Twitter followers when this started to having, last time I saw like 40,000. So this is really working for working for Huckabee. Um, yeah, and this, I mean, but this is part of a, a bigger, bigger concern where a lot of people, and I'm sure this happens lots of places, I know it does in California and Hawaii, where people decide that they want to live in places that had been working class places, but that are beachfront property, and so they decide they want them and that they're actually private property now that they live there, right? Uh, anyway. And this should have been a lot more. This should have played been a lot more of a hamper to Rick Scott's uh, political career. But like many things, like being like him being implicated in the largest uh, Medicare fraud case of all time, also wasn't uh, having zero charisma. Also wasn't isn't. Uh, so I don't know. There's a lot of good people on both sides of the Medicare uh, fraud. <laughs> the fraud divide. Yeah. <laughs> Don Gates and Rick in, Scott. In Mexico, it's in the Constitution that all the beaches are publicly owned right. they're all federal land and they're all um uh publicly accessible theoretically but of right. course that's not the way that it always works out right, right right but that's it's in the actual constitution for the country that's nice i believe that norway has that too there's a right i can't remember it's got one of the scandinavian names but it's a right to even private property if it's not in your if you're not kind of have it in use that that would be harmed by someone being on it people can walk across your property Mm. Um, also, I mean, this is, if you guys want to get into urban theory, uh, Marxist urban theory, I mean, this is absolutely accumulation by dispossession, which is, um, can tie into primitive, uh, accumulations. So there you go. Accumulation by dispossession just means like the ability to take away someone else's stuff through like seemingly legal means. Right. Uh, and it happens all the time. And this is one way that it happens is you just decide 
because you have political power that the beach is now your beach right so i was thinking the other day uh, we were talking about cutting christmas trees mm-hmm. um um uh, to i was talking to some of my students yeah. and i was thinking about when i was a kid we'd just throw an axe across our shoulder and mm-hmm. cut across country and uh, i didn't even necessarily know whose land i cut down a little uh, cedar or pine tree on and right. carried back and it never occurred to me I don't know if my parents had talked to landowners around us or if it was just so much the custom of the countryside that kids pretty much ran where they wanted to. Nobody cries over a chopped down cedar tree in East Tennessee, I can tell you. As a matter of fact, I always heard if you plant one that if it gets big enough to (laughs) shade your grave, you'll die. Just I think that was a superstition to keep people from planting more cedar trees. And once they get to a certain size, they get either bush hogged or let to grow a little bit bigger to turn into uh, fence posts because they don't decay very fast because they're right. very resinous. But yeah, it's like um, uh, nobody ever said anything. I never really even thought about it and was just thinking about it the other day about uh, that the my nieces and nephews grew up and they never showed much interest in wandering around across the countryside. But I'm not sure if they would have been allowed to. Yeah, and that is a weird. This we could go into this more. It's a weird change. We used to cut ours down on paper company land, but nobody cared, right? Like, we would go drive, not even an hour east of Destin, which is funny now because if you drove an hour east of Destin, you would be in someone's condo. But you'd drive down there and get on like paper company land and drive off road and look for a tree that looked. And the trick is there too. Like every tree that looks tiny out in the woods is gigantic in your house. <laughs> you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to like redefine the scale like it always looks like a tiny little tree until you get it home um and yeah you just pick out a tree in the woods and cut it down that's how we got christmas trees now i don't we did a lot of chopping chopping off the bottoms when we got them home or chopping off the top sometimes because i it didn't occur to me my house is old and uh country and was a arts and crafts cabin originally and so um even when I was a teenager, I could easily put my hand up above my head and um, uh, almost lay my hand flat on the ceiling. The ceilings are so low. Um, we we so, should yeah, specify the, for the pretty... audience, though, since this is a, 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 <laughs> a radio show, that you, you are not a normal-sized person. Yeah, well, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it, it's not like a hobbit house or something. <laughs> Let's um, just say you could have played some Ordinary people would find day. it hard to touch the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean that's like a bigger thing too right like I this is a longer story but once when I was in junior high maybe I got in potentially a lot of trouble because someone called my dad and said they had seen me on quote unquote their land right which is completely true but I had you know when I grew up with my friends we would we would be outside all day all the time and we would go wander around places and when Destin at the time wasn't that built up, so you would cut across, you know, cut across a sand dune, cut across the woods, right? And my dad got mad at me, but then my dad had I'd grown up on him telling me stories about, oh, yeah, when, when I was a kid, we would just take the canoe and go leave for like three days and look for uh, arrowheads. 
Yeah. Right. We we take the we take a rifle and like a hatchet and go just disappear for three days, and then kind of all of that generation would tell us these stories. But they were also the generation who would say, uh, "I don't like people walking across my land that has nothing on it." Yeah. So like yeah. when I first moved to Texas, I think. Um, been a few years ago but i taught at a school it was kind of a well-to-do school and i remember talking to one of the parents and they were like oh yeah like we're going up to our uh, deer hunting farm this week i was like oh like your farm like no it's a it's just a piece of property that we own like just to hunt deer on and i was like what like like people do that i was like you don't you don't just go like on your neighbor's farm and like hunt deer or like you don't like go on your own like that was like something i was completely but it's very common like here in texas for i mean maybe you don't own it but you maybe you rent it or you pay to right, rent you buy it. A part in it you yeah. buy a part in it uh, there's like what people actually have like farms where they just go hunt like it's not like you don't just go hunt on a farm that's already a farm like i don't yeah i think it's trying to be a bigger thing now and i know it's especially true in texas because I didn't. I a few years ago, I had been out in Alpine, Texas, and I saw these mountains, and I wanted to go hike them. And so I started looking up how to go hike these mountains. But it turns out that you can't because there's almost no public land in Texas. Right? Yeah, like it's all I mean, privately it's... owned, and you have to like apply for permission. And there's a season like once a year where you're allowed to like cross an easement to go hike up a mountain because yeah. it's all private land in Texas. Yeah, I think uh, I have some stories about that but i think we should have an episode that's just our own personal hunting stories um because it's not like uh, any of the three of us are big hunters or anything but we all have stories around hunting i do i I'll i guess you i can tell I can, what's concur. that i concur i concur yeah. All right. So we got a few things left. We're gonna get through today. One of them, another great story. The legendary Willie D <laughs> is contemplating contemplating public life in Houston. Again, Houston's interesting politics. Yeah. Well, I got some bad news for you. His application was turned down by. Oh no. Because and this is kind of um, so I think he's applying for I think it's district the city council district B. And, but he was denied because there is a law in the state of Te- another state of Texas law that says if you are a felon, you cannot run for office. You cannot run for office. And oh. and but he probably applied because District B. They recently had an election that we had an election on Saturday. Uh, it was like a runoff election from November, but like the mayor was reelected and most of the city council was reelected, but it's district B is, was not on the ballot because, um, the two candidates who qualified for the runoff, it's like, um, the way that the city elections in Houston, run. It's like the, if you don't win 50%, you are like the top two go to a runoff. And so the top two candidates, uh, qualified for the runoff, but one of the candidates, it turns out, was a convicted felon, and <laughs> but she had just playing the odds. Yeah, she had applied for and been she'd applied for like her, you know, whatever it is you apply for to run for office, and she had been approved. And it's sort of like this is another this is a, kind of an ambiguous law. It says you cannot run you cannot run for office if you have been convicted for a felony and have not been released from the conviction like your conviction 
So they're sort of ambiguous, like, and what that means, like, to be released from conviction. And this lady, I guess a couple of years ago, or a year or two ago in Austin, someone ran for office, and they were like, well, like, we served our probation, and now we were released from probation, so, like, technically that, we're no longer, like, under, like, we're technically no longer a felon, and so they were allowed to run, and so this candidate was allowed to do the same. I mean, she she's arguing the same, but, like, the third-place candidate is, like, applied for, um, she's filed a grievance, and so in kind of in the midst of this, like, they're talking about maybe are they just redo the whole election, and then, like, Willie D kind of threw his name in the in the hat, and then, like, the Democratic chairman of, like, Houston said, well, it's not a, I don't really agree with the law, but we got to turn Willie D down, so. We should explain for people who don't know that Willie D is William Willie D. Dennis, a uh, former member of legendary Houston hip-hop group, The Ghetto Boys. Yeah. And so. I hope he runs on the slogan, uh, mess with Willie D, I'm going to kick you in the asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which yeah. is... <laughs> Which, you know, it's funny. I was thinking of him today, and I was thinking, which which song was that in? And did he say, I'm going to kick you in the asshole or shoot you in the asshole? And so I started trying to look up that lyric, and all I got was, like, battery charges that Willie <laughs> D has against him. <laughs> oh. And so I feel kind of bad about it. Uh, but, I mean, if you're going to represent Houston, uh, yeah. who represents Houston He's better than the The perfect boys? representative. Um. He, re- he really is. He really is. I, I would, yeah, I would go out a flat a campaign for Willie D. And when Scarface yeah. gets in the race. Well, apparently you can't be written in in Houston, like because he wanted to be a write-in candidate, but think, apparently yeah. you can't write okay. somebody in. I think so. Yeah. Maybe so could... the election is still up for. They may. They haven't decided what to do. Like if they're, yeah, they're still trying to figure out what to do with this. Uh, I think it's District B election. If they're gonna completely redo it or let the felon run or disqualify the felon and let the third place candidate run. I don't know. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've been skipping through a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, Why don't we finish? We had some other stuff to get to. We can do next time. Why don't we finish on this local story that I found that I thought was interesting about where I'm from uh, in Destin. So, Destin was founded by this guy named Leonard Destin, who was from Connecticut, and he was a fisherman, ended up in Destin. It was a uh, very good fishing port. There had been Native Americans who lived in and around there uh, for a while. It had been kind of back and forth between the Spanish and America. By this point, it was America, and it was military land. Um, Anyway, long story, but the Destin family has been prominent in the politics of Destin since Leonard Destin. Dewey Destin had been mayor of Destin. His son, yeah, Dewey's son Parker, is now he's city council. I think he's running for county commissioner now. He's I, I think he might. I think they've been registered Republican, but I would put them in the category of uh, registered Republicans so who I think are really decent at local politics, which that exists sometimes harder and harder to do. But Parker Destin has gotten access to the Civil War era letter uh, that that was in someone's possession, and it was written by a Confederate soldier, a 19-year-old soldier, Lieutenant H.T. Wright of the Confederate Walton Guard, who had been stationed in what is now Fort Walton. It was Camp Walton then. And he was writing a letter to his father in Pensacola talking about 
dealing with Leonard Destin. And the really interesting thing about Leonard Destin is that he was never, uh, never a Confederate, right? Never part of any Confederate movement. It was very much a Yankee, and he was imprisoned or detained throughout the Civil War and was going to be hanged by the Confederacy. The only reason he wasn't hanged is because the judge that was going to hang him was also a Mason, and they did like the secret handshake with each <laughs> other, and so he just got imprisoned. Um, <clears throat> so this letter begins to to by Wright, Lieutenant Wright, saying, contrary to our expectation, we have seen no Yankees yet, and consequently we have had no fight. But then he goes on to talk about uh, Leonard Destin saying, Our captain received orders from headquarters to move Captain Lynn, alias Destin, who is suspected to have carried on trade with the enemy from East Pass. Uh, right? And so what had gone on was that the, the I believe the Union forces had been kind of shelling Destin as target practice because no one really lived there, like the Destin family lived there. They've been kind of shelling it as target practice, and the Destins ran off, but they came and confiscated all his stuff, including his fishing sloop, his coffee grinder, and a <laughs> shotgun. So I can tell I, I do feel like a real Destin native when I read that he, he got really angry about losing his fishing sloop, his coffee grinder, and his shotgun. So he he <laughs> sailed out to complain to the Union troops, and that's uh, part of the time they said, well, he was conducting this this kind of trade with, uh, with him. Um, but why I bring this up is because it's a really interesting um, document, and I kind of hit on this a lot, that a lot of areas that we think of now as being parts of the Confederacy and that kind of celebrate their part of the Confederacy were not at all parts of the Confederacy and, in fact, had really contentious relationships. So it says here, um, yeah, so the Water Witch is the name of the Union ship that Leonard Destin was going out to. But because of his contact with him, he was detained for six to eight months in, in Freeport. Um, and then those troops... Interestingly, the troops had to leave that area of Florida to go up to Tennessee to fight. Um, so he returned to East Pass, which is now Destin, in 1862. So there, this is a lot like, you know, the area of East Tennessee where y'all are from, but, but Destin as well was a very active, um, not actively not and notoriously not part of the Confederacy, right? Yet there are still plenty of places you can drive around and see people flying rebel flags there. And it makes me nuts about their historical ignorance. But it's good to see these actual historic artifacts of, of a time when, when uh, the South was definitely not a homogenous um, endorsement of the Confederacy. Yep. I love that story. I thought, uh, uh, and I like you, I liked that he just got in his boat and <laughs> rode out to the <laughs> ship and said and they gave everything back except the shotgun right right yeah <laughs> it was reasonable i suppose he got his coffee grinder back yeah yeah so <laughs> some things are consistent about growing up in Destin. well anyway we've crammed a lot into this episode uh and so we're actually going to record again this week so I'll, i unless i get an insane case of dysentery again not dysentery whatever i had or um, in case anyway, I get hair cancer. Hair cancer from living in Texas in case David gets fireworked up. <laughs> fireworked up here. All right. Well, I've got um, yeah. guests coming, but uh, nobody I can't shuttle off to do a podcast. Or have record with you if they're. Yeah. Uh, no, maybe. I know who it's it is. Michael, though. Oh, yeah. Just have yeah Michael. Michael. Have Michael. He'll sit there and say, yeah, every once in a while and then threaten my life every five minutes. When when you get when you get cancer, that we say you got guests coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, in that case, we've all got some guests coming. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Uh, see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.